All right, all right. Good evening, Anchor. Good evening, Anchor. Today, we are going to talk about the big elephant in the room for hip-hop. I'm sure everybody knows, everybody's following the case of the infamous Rat 6 9 um, We're going to talk about a lot of different things in hip-hop culture. You know, we're going to talk about a lot of different things as far as snitching. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about the case. We're going to talk about just a lot of different things, just to give you my opinion on the situation and uh, give you an idea of where I'm coming from and just related to the public and the image and the culture of hip hop and everything going on nowadays. So we're gonna break down a little bit of, you know, history of some of the most famous mafia crime members. And then, you know, we're gonna just go down the line of some of the most famous snitches and all around the world, not just the United States, but all around the world. So the first famous snitch we're gonna talk about is Joseph Michael Valachi. Uh, he's born in 1904. He's an American gangster in the Genovese crime family. He's the first recognized member of the United States Italian mob family to acknowledge the existence of the American Italian mafia publicly. So he's the first guy to really talk about, you know, admit to, you know, the American Italian mafia. That's how secretive they were. They never talked about it publicly. You know, they were very organized. They were very secretive. And uh, he was the first one to really bring light to it. And, um... He was part of a crime family that was referred to as the Cosa Nostra, you know, very famous. You hear a lot of people reference that. Um, in 1963, he testified before a U.S. Senate committee uh, to discuss how the American Italian crime mafia operates and all of its hidden secrets. Um, you know, involved in a lot of different crime, obviously, you know, murders and just typical mafia stuff. So that's the first guy. Another guy we're going to uh, discuss is uh, Joseph Barboza. He's born in 1932. Famous crime figure in Boston. He turned government witness in 1966. He was a professional boxer. He escaped from prison. Um, another famous snitch is Joseph Messino. He's part of the Cosa Nostra crime family. Uh, he's involved with multiple murders. He's a boss of the Bonanno crime family. Uh, he started testifying against multiple different associates around 2006. Another famous snitch is uh, Sammy Gravano. Born in 1945, under he was a former underboss of the Gambino crime family. He was also involved in multiple murders. He helped bring down the infamous John Gotti. Uh, he was originally a mobster from the Colombo crime family. Also worked for a Brooklyn faction of the Gambino's family. Uh, he was pronounced as a cooperating government witness by federal prosecutors in 1991. Uh, we have another guy, uh, Ken Ito. Born in 1919, <clears throat> Japanese-American mobster with the Chicago outfit. He turned government informant and entered witness protection. We have Tomasa Buschetti, uh, born in 1928, involved in multiple murders. He was part of the Sicilian Mafia. He testified in 1986 uh, with the largest anti-mafia trial in history. Um, we have, of course, the famous Frank Lucas, born in 1933, excuse me, 1930 in Harlem, made over $2 million a day smuggling heroin from the Southeast Asia into the United States. He was involved in, you know, multiple murders, obviously drug trafficking, uh, cooperated with federal authorities to reduce his 70-year sentence, and he was placed in witness protection along with his family after his release from prison. Uh, we also have Max Mermelestein, uh, involved excuse me, born in 1942, drug smuggler for the Medellin uh, family, Medellin cartel family. 
Uh, he became a key informant against the organization. He was also involved in multiple murders. We have Henry Hill, born in 1943, associated with the Lucali crime family. I hope I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I said that wrong. I apologize. Um, in 1980, he became an FBI informant. You know, he had a drug business. He was responsible for fixing basketball games. Also involved in multiple murders as well. We have Alpha Omega, who uh, was a member of Grand Hustle T.I.'s, you know, rap entourage. He became a federal informant. Um, we have Dwayne Keith D. Davis, member of the Southside Crips. He was born in 1996. Uh, he was responsible and admitted to being involved in the murder of Tupac. And uh, he cooperated with the 40 authorities. He gave a statement. And I just basically just listed, you know, about maybe a dozen, you know, famous snitches from all different walks of the world, um, you know. We had a guy who was part of the Japanese, you know, mafia. We have a lot of members of the Italian mafia. Uh, I've put up a couple, you know, snitches from the hip-hop era. Um, you know, these people came from all different, you know, decades of the United States, from, you know, either the 1930s, either born in the 1930s all the way up to the 1950s. Um, you know, different skin colors. We have, I've listed some African-American Informants. I listed a lot of Italian, you know, Caucasian informants. Uh, I listed an Asian informant. Um, I listed, you know, informants that were not only from, you know, way before social media, but, uh, you know, informants that are around in the 90s, you know, when social media started picking up from a different era, from a different culture of hip hop, you know. And uh, basically, the reason why I listed all these, you know, different snitches is to show you that there is no formula for a snitch, meaning there's no one specific background for somebody snitching, for somebody cooperating with authorities. You know, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, Hispanic, you know, Asian. It doesn't matter what you are. Everybody and every culture has informants, people that cooperate with authorities. There's, you know, a big stigma in hip-hop a big fictionist statement that people like to say, oh, you know, this generation is, you know, there's no morals, everybody's snitching. No, people were snitching in the, you know, in the, in the mafia in the, in the 40s and the 50s and the 30s and the early 1900s, all the way up to the 70s with Frank Lucas. And, you know, this is not like a, a genera generational thing. It, it's very, very simple. It's not rocket science, guys. People do not want to spend the rest of their life in prison. Nobody wants to sit in a box, a 10 by 10 foot cell, rotting for the rest of their life, never being able to see the sun again, never being able to see their family, their friends again, never being able to walk around freely, being told what to do, you know, 24 hours of the day, being under surveillance, you know, being treated like an animal. Nobody wants that. And I'm not justifying snitching. I think, you know, snitching is, is disgusting. If you live in, if, you know, if you're part of that type of lifestyle, you know, you know what comes with it. But that's another thing that's, that's kind of ironic about all these snitching statements. We're talking about criminals, guys. We're talking about people that murder people. We're talking about people that kill, you know, people that disrespect them, people that, you know, rob one another. You know, we're talking about very violent, dangerous, heartless criminals here. So the idea that everybody is going to be this, you know, great person with moral standing is just, you know, it's, it's garbage. You know what I mean? It's, it's, just, it's just not realistic. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, you know, some very stand-up guys that don't snitch, people that spend the rest of their life in jail and prison and don't snitch. Um, they follow, you know, a, a moral code, I guess. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that that's um, necessarily good or a bad thing, but at least they stand for something. At least they're, you know, they're willing to, 
you know, take responsibility for the violent, you know, crimes that they committed and they're, they're willing to not throw other people underneath the bus. But at the same token, these people are still murderers. They're still, you know, people that were selling drugs, still people involved with, you know, negative things. And uh, we can argue all day whether it's, you know, it's from their environment or whether or not they had a choice or not. But at the end of the day, you know, crime is crime and, you know, murder is murder. So, you know, it's just, you know, this, the stigma of, you know, not snitching is a little bit ridiculous in my opinion, but I understand where people are coming from. When you hear people, you know, especially nowadays on social media talking about, you know, not snitching and this, that, and the third, it's usually because they come from the streets. They come from that environment. They come from, a, you know, a place where they're, you know, told by their, their OGs or their, you know, the people that they're involved with crime and you never snitch, you know, that's one of the codes to the streets. And uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, you know, a lot of people say it's because of a moral, you know, moral ethics code. But realistically, too, let's 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 think if you're a drug dealer in an impoverished environment, you know, you're selling drugs, you know, you don't have a lot of options or you, you know, or either you don't have a lot of options or you've been told you don't have a lot of options. You know, we can argue that all day, but whatever, you're selling drugs. And um, one of the reasons why people don't snitch in that environment is because if they come home, you know, they have to go home to their to their families, they have to go home to their to their impoverished neighborhoods where they live. And they're going to get shot. They're going to get murdered by, you know, the people that um, have figured out that they're cooperating because the people that they were snitching on are now in prison for life. Their families are affected. Their, you know, their children are left fatherless now. Uh, the mother of the family, you know, is having trouble, you know, supporting their children now because they were relying on the drug money. And... um they're going to get murdered. So a lot of times it's because of a moral standings. You know, they don't they, they don't want to snitch because it's their pride. It's their, you know, their responsibility for their actions. But a lot of times it's because they know if they snitch, they're going to come home and they're going to get killed or their family's going to get killed for, you know, snitching. So it's not always a, a moral standpoint. It's more about protecting themselves and their family as to why they don't snitch. Um, you know, so that's just one way to look at it. And um, the other point I wanted to make about this, the reason why I listed all these different, uh, you know, mafia guys and people from different, you know, generations of, you know, families, you know, in the United States and, you know, and around the world is because, you know, it's, it just shows that it's, it doesn't have anything really to do with the generation. And mind you, let's, let's, com let's compare this a little bit to, to nowadays, right? This is way before social media. This is way before Instagram. This is way before Snapchat with all these informants that I listed, most of them, except for the, you know, the two hip hop references of uh, Alpha Mega and Dwayne KVD Davis. All the other people that I mentioned, um, Tomasa Baschetti, Frank Lucas, Max Mermelestein, Henry Hill, Joseph Messina, you know, the list goes on. All those people I mentioned, they were involved with crime way before social media, way before Instagram, way before Snapchat, way before Facebook, way before MySpace, way before Google, way, you know, way before the Internet really became a thing. Uh, way before there were, you know, ca you know, cameras on, you know, f you know, 5G phones and things like that. It's just, it's it's ridiculous. Excuse me, 4G phones. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Like to think that, you know, that snitching is, is, a, is, is a new thing. It's been going on for years. And mind you, these are people that were involved in extremely, extremely, extremely organized crime families. These are people that would, that would have their heads, they would literally be beheaded for, um, you know, being too flamboyant or, you know, showing too much jewelry or bragging. These were people that dressed as businessmen. These were people that paid off politicians. These were people that tried desperately to blend in. They didn't want to, they didn't want, uh, you know, public attention. These people didn't go around flashing jewelry 
are putting themselves on camera or on Instagram or on Snapchat like 6ix9ine was these are people that were, you know, trying to remain, a, a, they're trying to preserve a, a business image. They were trying to make themselves look like they were professional. You know, they would donate money to charities. Frank Lucas used to give out, you know, chickens. I mean, not chickens, turkeys on Thanksgiving, you know, to make himself look good. He would hang out with politicians. Uh, you know, they would do certain things to preserve their image. You know what I mean? They they would do a lot of things to make themselves seem like they were legitimate businessmen. These were not people with rainbow-colored hair like 6ix9ine. These were not people, um, you know, making threats to other rappers on social media. These were not people constantly telling people to suck their dick on social media. These were not people... Uh, you know, wearing red bandanas and music videos about crime and violence, showing illegal guns, showing pounds of marijuana in their music videos, showing illegal firearms in their music videos with convicted felons holding, you know, firearms in their music videos, like 6ix9ine did. These were people trying to, you know, keep a very low-key profile image. And these people were still snitching. These were people that were part of extremely organized crime families where they had to take orders from bosses, they had to, um, you know, they had to follow a certain, you know, code. They had to, you know, they had to get permission from their bosses and their head honchos to make decisions, you know. And these were people that um, had to follow a very organized system, and they were still snitching. These were very rough men. That's why all the people that I just mentioned, most of the, you know, the crime family people that I just mentioned that were informants, I mentioned that they were involved in multiple murders just to show these were not wimps. These were not, you know, you know, low-level you know, white-collar criminals. These were violent, dangerous individuals responsible for murder, racketeering, extortion, all types of things. These were extremely violent criminals, and these weren't people that just, you know, started, you know, jumped off the porch one day and decided to be criminals. A lot of these people that I mentioned were involved in crime and violence their entire life, and they were still snitches. They were still rats. They were still informants. So let's bring this back to 6 9 right? What on earth would make you think that Six Nine would not snitch? Um, I think most of the people, most of the people involved in hip hop that were, you know, they came from the streets or, you know, were considered quote unquote solid individuals, would look at Six Nine and say, "Oh, this guy will sing like a canary if he gets, you know, involved in the feds or anything like that, or gets incarcerated or gets arrested or anything like that, or gets charged with anything, for multiple reasons." And let's break that down. Um, number one. Of course, he doesn't, you know, he, he portrayed himself as a clown. You know, his in all of his interviews, he would say, um, oh, you know, I'm just a kid with rainbow color hair. So he never, he would he would literally, you know, make all these threats to all these, you know, people. And, um, you know, he would back it up because he had a powerful, you know, group of violent criminals behind him, the Nine Trade Bloods, to back up his words and his actions. But, you know, he, he portrayed himself as a clown. Let's be honest here, guys. He was a jokester. He was always making jokes on social media. Um, he was always, you know, making fun of people, you know, he was a prankster, he was a class clown. Um, and mind you, he's all over social media and he's involved in a very violent, dangerous street gang. And it just shows that, um, you know, it's just, it was, was not professional at all for the, you know, the nine trade bloods, you know, um, don't get me wrong. Six nine is 100% responsible for everything that's happened to him and the people around him. Um, you know, he, he started a lot of these beefs with all these rappers, um, you know, he uses social media, he uses his, uh, his platform to, uh, you know, promote violence and, um, you know, instigate drama with other rappers and things like that. And, um, but my whole thing is this, you know, 6 9 you know, was never like a, you know, a form, you know, a thorough gang member. He was not somebody that was born and raised in the Bloods. He didn't join the Bloods when he was 14 years old. 
You know what I mean? He wasn't an official, you know, gang member his whole life or anything like that. He was, you know, kind of a goofy outcast kid that was doing, you know, different styles of rap. Uh, you know, he was known for wearing, you know, you know, wild, you know, colorful clothing and things like that. Um, you know, he was he was kind of like an outcast kid, really. And, um, you know, he was he just decided to join this powerful organization or not even, you know, whether or not he joined or not. That's, you know, it's under investigation right now. But, you know, either way, he was, you know, heavily associated with the nine trade bloods. And, um, you know, he, a lot of ways he didn't look like he belonged because most of the nine trade bloods were, you know, you know, large African-American men. And six nine is a small Mexican kid, probably like five foot seven, maybe I don't know his exact height, maybe five foot six with rainbow colored hair. And um, you know, he, he was just um you know, different than them, obviously. He portrayed himself in in a clown image. He was very goofy, he was very silly, and uh he didn't really have any of the character traits that you would see from, you know, more of the quote unquote gangster, you know, rappers and things like that. Most of the gangster rappers uh, remain quiet, you know, not necessarily quiet, but they don't beef on social media. That's one of the main things, you know, you see, you do see people, a lot of people beefing on social media, but at the same time, you don't see a lot of people beefing on social media because people are starting to get smart. They realize, oh shit, if I get on social media and I start talking trash and uh, about the certain person and something happens to that guy, oh gee, the, you know, the, the federal government, you know, is going to see this and they're going to you know, you know, they're going to try to put me under investigation. They're going to try to use all the things that I've used on social media against me. If this if this person that I'm talking trash about gets murdered because they know that I'm involved in, you know, some type of criminal activity. Um, a good example of that would be Yo Gotti. You know, he was, you know, he's obviously has a lot of problems with the other rapper, Young Dolph. And, you know, Yo Gotti is allegedly or supposedly, whatever you want to say, was a big drug dealer. And um, he has obviously he has a lot of people around him that are willing to die for him and you know he he's a big name supposedly and you know when he had when young Dolph got on the record you know on his diss tracks you know taking shots at, at Yo Gotti you know calling him Ho Gotti and you know just saying all types of things don't play with me play with your bitch and things like that when he was you know stirring up all this you know controversy and trying to you know you feel this uh feud with him and uh you know him and Yo Gotti um, when Yogati was, you know, asked about this on the Breakfast Club, which is, you know, a big, you know, hip hop radio station show, he said, "Oh, I don't have a problem with Young Dolph. I don't have a problem at all." And that was, you know, that was a really smart move. That's something that you would see, um, you know, that was kind of like a, I want to say professional, but it was kind of, it was kind of like a professional criminal move. You don't want to bring attention to that to something like that, especially because Young Dolph was shot. His his vehicle was shot at over a thousand times. He didn't want to bring attention to that, so he he played off. Oh, I don't have a problem with him. You didn't see Yogati out here, you know, trying to um, you know, fuel the fight and, and so he could be under more investigation by the feds. Now, to be fair, Black Youngster, you know, another dude who was under investigation, you know, not he probably was under investigation. Who um, you know, was associated with Yogati. He was taking a lot of shots at um, at Young Dolph, and he was um, you know, he was. There's a video of him with some gang members, you know, holding guns and saying, where are you? You know, you know, that was extremely unprofessional. That was really stupid. That drawed a lot of attention to the feds. But you didn't see Yogati doing that. Yogati is an example of someone who was, um, you know, maintaining that quiet gangster image and not really trying to promote, you know, the violence, you know. And that's something you would see from a more discreet drug dealer. And, um, you know, this whole thing in 6 9 was doing just, you know, starting these feuds with Trippy Red on social media and starting these beef with these West Coast blood rappers, um, you know, YG and things like that. It was just um, 
really was not smart. It just it, it caused you know, especially in New York City. New York City has a very thorough you know police department. And when I say thorough, I'm not saying that they're not corrupt or anything like that. I wouldn't know the specifics, but you know their uh, police department that's responsible for a very, 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 very large community of people. There's probably over a million people in New York City. They have to do their best to maintain order. You know they've had all types of threats. They've had international threats with terrorism. With uh, you know September 11th, you know people dying. A lot of things happen in New York City. It's a big city. They have to really, really monitor everything that happens, and you know they're responsible for protecting a lot of lives. And um, so they're always looking for things like this. You saw what they did to um, to um, oh why can't I remember his name? Bobby Schmurter. Bobby Schmurter. You know he he wasn't really um, all over social media starting fights with other rappers and th- things like that. Although his song. You know, it was, you know, a lot of people said that was like dry snitching because he was talking about a lot of criminal stuff. He was mentioning the people in his gang. He was obviously a member of the Crips. He was, he was bringing a lot of attention to himself. But even then, you didn't really see him starting fights with people on social media. And look what they did to him. They brought him. He didn't have guns in his video, you know, or anything like that. And look what happened to him. You know, he got sentenced to eight years in prison. Um, they brought him down. So that should have been a clue for 6 9 to realize, you know, they're not playing games out here in New York City. You cannot be... You know, portraying this gangster image when you're involved with gangs like that and thinking you're going to get away with this stuff. And, uh, you know, the shooting at the Barclays Center, that's crazy. That's that's a big place. You know, uh, 6 9 supposedly had a hit on Chief Keefe in New York City and Times Square. That's that's a national tourist site. People come over, people come from all over the world to come to that part of New York City. You can't have people getting shot at in places like that. That's ridiculous. That's going to draw a lot of attention. And 6 9 literally had the nerve to uh you know to facetime you know members of um you know members of people that were associated with chief keith and literally say on camera i have a 30 pack on him right now i swear to god meaning i have a thirty thousand dollar hit on him right now it's just it's it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous you think you could do that stuff and get away with it but it all it goes to show that um this this man is a clown and that um you know, he, he obviously was, you know, a young kid who didn't know what he was doing. I'm not excusing his actions because his actions got a lot of people hurt, including his family and the people around him. But it just shows uh, a lot of responsibility has to go on Shoddy, who, uh, you know, was co-signing 6 9 You have to look at it from, this is why I'm, I do not understand how Shoddy thinks. Now, let's let's say you're Shoddy, right? You're a member of the Nine Trade Bloods. You're a high-ranking gang member. You've been involved in violence your entire life. You've been incarcerated before, and you're literally going to allow someone who's representing your gang to, you know, get on social media, on camera, and make threats against other people and things like that, and think that you're not going to be under investigation by the feds? Are you crazy? What were you thinking? I mean, that's insane. The first thing Shoddy should have done, I mean, the fact that they were already extorting him for money and taking all of 6 ix money is, you know, it's bad enough. And, you know, supposedly having sex with um, 6 9s uh, baby's mother and things like that. But the first thing Shoddy should have done was he, I mean, he literally should have grabbed 6 9 slammed him against the wall, looked at him in his eyes and said, what are you doing? Stop, you know, stop fueling fights on social media. The FBI is going to investigate us. You're crazy. You're insane for thinking that, you know, you're, you're not going to be under investigation for this. But um, it just shows how unintelligent they are. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say unintelligent, but just reckless or stupid. I mean, what were you thinking? Like, of course you're going to be under investigation. We saw this from miles and miles away. Everybody saw this. You don't have to be a rocket science, a rocket scientist to not think that you'd be under investigation for doing these things. 
uh, DJ Academics was one of the first people that really brought this to my attention. He on you know on his YouTube channel, he was showing how there was a shooting at the Barclays Center involving Six Nine, and what he said was going to happen. He said what the, they're probably doing right now is they're going to build a case against him. The fact that you know he had, there hasn't been any arrests made means that the FBI is probably watching him very closely. They're investigating Six Nine, and they're probably going to just you know pull him in. And they're going to build a huge case against them, just like they did with Bobby Shmurda. Like, the feds are very good at prosecuting these people. And there's just boatloads of evidence from social media, from 6 9 you know, making threats to uh, Trippy Red. You know, the fact that they're, you know, you know, openly, you know, kind of admitting to being gang members, throwing up gang signs, you know, wearing red bandanas. It's all information the feds can use against them. It's racketeering. Um, there's all types of things they can use against them. And it's all from social media. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's insane. Now, compare that to all the people I just mentioned before, all these famous mobsters and things like that. These were guys wearing suits and ties. These were guys pretending to be businessmen, trying to do legal business as well, you know, trying to get on good politician sides, trying to uh, pay out judges and things like that. These were not people trying to boast, you know, their, their, their crime association and things like that. They weren't on social media. And look what happened. They still got arrested. They still got arrested. They still got convicted for crimes. You know what I mean? I mean, just look at it like that. These were people that were actually also very rich, too. Not to say that 6 9 wasn't rich, but these were people that were extremely rich, involved in criminal organizations, and they still got convicted. So those people were getting convicted. And mind you, these were people that were paying off police for years, paying off, you know, all the police departments. These mafia members, they all had connects to police departments and things like that. And, um, you know, a lot of them had, you know, you know, they had um, the advantage, of, especially if they were Caucasian. You know, back then, racism was, you know, very, very big. Not to say there's not problems with racism now, but back then it was, you know, way bigger. And, um, you know, if you're white, you know, most of the police department back then in America was white. So if you're an Italian, you know, mobster, you definitely have a little bit of an advantage there. And you could definitely pay off these police officers. And... um those people were still getting convicted by the police, you know, by the federals, federal government and things like that. And now compare that to 6ix9ine, who's a member of a, you know, of a black street gang. Um, he doesn't have the ability, you know, he doesn't have the, the proper people to pay off in the, in the police department and things like that. He's literally putting all of his criminal activities on, not only on YouTube showing, you know, convicted felons holding, you know, you know, machine guns in his, his rap videos and things like that. All things that, the, you know, the prosecutors can use against these people. Um, it's just like he's literally just volunteering all this information, showing his gang affiliation with red bandanas. You know, literally on camera, putting a hit on Chief Keefe. Just unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And to think that he wasn't going to get prosecuted is just absolutely insane. And um, I just want to break down a little bit of the psychology of why. I mean, if you didn't think 6 9 was going to snitch, you're absolutely insane. You're absolutely insane. I mean, this is a guy who literally, I mean, he's already, before he even quote-unquote snitched, he was already snitching by putting all this stuff on social media. So it's just, um, I mean, if you look at his personality, he's the type of person to put all of his information on social media, especially criminal activities. So he was already snitching before he even got in the courtroom or in the interrogation room. He was already snitching on himself and everybody around him. Now he's just doing it in a courtroom under investigation and things like that. And um, it, it just goes to show that it's just um, it's just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And, um, you know, a lot of people, one of the things that kind of bothers me, you know, a lot of these hip hop artists and 
you know, people that are part of hip hop culture, they're all talking about how snitching is so terrible. This that, and third. yeah, it's it's not good. It's 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 dishonest and things like that. But is that the best message we can send to our kids? Is that you shouldn't snitch? That's the best message we can send. How about we start telling our kids to not be involved in the streets? How about that? How about we tell our kids to stay away from gangs? This, I mean, everybody that's looking at this case, I don't care if you're a young kid that's a fan of hip hop. I don't care if you're an older adult, you know, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever. This should be a message to people all around the world. You should never, ever get involved with gangs. I mean, there's nothing good that can come of this. It's, it's all violence. It's all, all terrible stuff that happens. And some people don't have a choice. Some people grow up in neighborhoods where they don't, you know, they don't necessarily have a choice. There's gang members next door to them. Families involved with gang members, there's drugs in their house, they're getting shot at at an early age, they're they're seeing extreme violence from their family members at an early age. And not to say 6ix9ine didn't, his father was murdered when he was young. I'm not saying that 6ix9ine had an easy life, but the fact that 6ix9ine, you know, quote unquote, you know, became a member of the Bloods when he was around, what, 20 years old, 22 years old, shows that he had the ability to avoid joining a gang for over 20 years, so... You know, why join it now just to promote your music? Like, it, it really makes no sense. But this, hopefully this is a good message for the kids. They can realize nothing positive can come of the gang life. There's major, major, major consequences for joining the gang life. And now, of course, let's say let's say um, 6 9 you know, didn't cooperate. Let's say he just kept his mouth shut and I'm not saying anything. Then what? He's going to be, you know, sent to live in a federal, you know, federal cage for the rest of his life. He's going to be in federal custody the rest of his life. He's not going to survive in general population in prison because number one, he's a you know sex offender. You know whether or not you 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 know you think that he should be registered as a sex offender or not for his solicitation of a minor case, that's up to you. But the fact that he had that charge meant that he could never ever ever survive in general population with murderers and you know very very violent people. That's not respected in in prison at all. So. Even if he did, you know, even if he didn't cooperate, he kept his mouth shut, he would he would probably be slaughtered in general population. And if he went into protective custody, he's still not necessarily going to be okay in prison because he's extremely famous. And there's still very violent, dangerous people in protective custody, guys. There's murderers in, in protective custody. There's all types of very, very violent people in protective custody. And, um, you know, so it's just he, he wouldn't have survived anywhere in prison. So... That that that's why I don't really understand, you know, exactly what Shadi was thinking. I mean, you have a guy that's literally wearing has rainbow colored hair, somebody who's never been an official gang member, who says, okay, you know, I want to I want to um, shoot these rap videos, and um, I want to use your, you know, I want to I want to wear I want everybody to have red bandanas. I want to represent this gang, and um, obviously I understood why he did it. It was for the money. Okay, cool. You know, you, you help make the money, and Shadi made a lot of money off of Six Nine. But where where are the are the codes here? Where are the street codes here? I mean, why would you allow someone like that to literally put your life in jeopardy by beefing with everybody? I guess that's what gangbanging is all about. It's all about violence and negativity. But it's just like, what were you thinking, beefing with all these people on social media? It's just, I mean, the first thing, like I said before, Shadi should have you know literally slammed him against the wall and said, "Stop running your mouth on social media. The police are going to be investigating us right now." Stop doing that. Stop posting this crazy shit on social media. And uh, one of the things that really bothered me when 6ix9ine got on The Breakfast Club and uh, Charlemagne the God and Angela Yee and a DJ Envy were talking to him, 
one of the things he said, he said um, when they were telling him, you know, stop, you know, starting all this, stop instigating all this violence and stuff. One of the things that 6 9 said was, oh, it's my job to get under these people's skin. It's my job to get under these people's skin. And he was like very serious about that. I'm thinking to myself, no, your job is to make music. Your job is to is to not not create controversy because there's real consequences, real, real consequences. And um, I think part of the reason why 6 9 was doing this is because we have a man who never really had power like that. He wasn't a gang member his whole life. So now he's he's got these... You know, this powerful nine trade blood gang backing up everything that he's saying. He's on a power trip. That's as simple as that. Whereas if you had somebody that was a member of the blood since they were like 14 years old, somebody who already had earned all their stripes in the streets, somebody who was already a very, you know, high ranking gang member or a well-respected gang member, they wouldn't feel the need to, um, they wouldn't feel the need to, you know, flex their muscles essentially and start beefing with all these rappers. And, um... That's part of the reason why you saw him acting the way he was because he he hadn't had that sense of power before, you know. If he had that power his whole life, he wouldn't feel the need to get on social media. And um, there's there's really honestly, I don't want to make excuses for Six Nine's actions because his actions are disgusting, you know. Not not just snitching, but the fact that he put all these people's lives in jeopardy, including his daughter, his girlfriend, his mother, everybody with all this reckless behavior that he was doing. Um, but there's one, I can really pinpoint all this behavior to one thing. And I think that was his charge, um, solicitation of a minor, his, you know, his, his sexual charge or whatever that really, really ruined everything in his career because for, for multiple reasons, number one, you're, you're claiming to be a member of a street gang, a very powerful street gang. And we all know that when you go to prison, you know, people with, with sexual offenses are not respected in prison at all. So that really hurt him. That's why he wasn't respected in the gang community because of that charge. Every every rapper that did not like him could easily say, "Oh, this guy's a, you know, they they could easily, you know, you know, manipulate the situation and start calling him a pedophile and, you know, this that and the third. And um that's what happened. People started calling him a pedophile and that really got under his skin. And, you know, he's he's supposed to be representing a powerful street gang and he's being called a pedophile. So that really, you know, made him, you know, furious. Whether he'll admit it or not, that really made him furious and, and disgusted. And he had, he felt like he had to prove himself, and he had to use all these people around him to, you know, to instigate violence to prove himself. If he, I, I, that's the thing that it's kind of sad. I think that if he didn't have that charge, I think that there's a slim chance that he actually might have been extremely embraced in the hip hop community, and he wouldn't have beef with everybody. Trippy Red, you know, wouldn't have anything against him. He wouldn't be able to call him a pedophile. Or anything like that, and um, he probably would have been a lot more respected by a lot of these other gang members. And there's even a potential that he might have been respected by these West Coast gangsters as well. You know, a very small chance. But um, everybody was saying that uh, you know, oh, six nine has rainbow color hair. I really personally don't think that that was that big of a deal, as far as you know, being a gang member or you know, being a tough guy and having you know rainbow colored hair. Because let's look at the history of hip hop right now. We have all types of homosexual things going on in the hip-hop community. We had um, Young Thug, you know, literally flirting with other people on Instagram, you know, literally wearing a dress, and he's a member of the Bloods, allegedly. And, you know, he's still very highly respected in the hip-hop community because he's, a, you know, a real member of the Bloods, and nobody cares about that. Uh, we have all types of people with multicolored hair. We have, you know, Uzi Vert wearing, uh, you know, purple hair and all this stuff. We have Trippy Red with, you know, red hair. There's all types of people with multicolored hair. So 
I don't think that was a problem at all that people have multicolored hair. I don't think that had really that much to do to it. Yeah, it's bizarre to see, you know, a short Hispanic, you know, kid with rainbow colored hair representing a powerful black street gang like that, but we've seen this before. We've seen Wiz Khalifa with, you know, dyed purple hair and things like that. It's really not that big of a deal. The hair wasn't the issue. The reason why people didn't respect 6ix9ine was because of the, the charge. It's because of the, the solicitation of, of a minor charge. Now, let's look at the psychology of the situation, right? When everybody wants to think of like a you know a sexual pr predator or something, the first thing you probably think of is maybe you know a Catholic priest or something, or you know a fat white guy with glasses or something like that, you know old pervert on the computer looking at child porn. But you know we want to we want to as human beings we want some type of visual identification, some type of visual assertion of of what somebody is. To you know as human beings we like to we like to put labels on people. It's just our human nature. So when you see a, a, a kid with, you know, tattoos all over his face and, um, you know, rainbow colored hair, and then you find out that he's a, you know, has a, has a sexual offense like that. It's like, ooh, this, I don't like this. This guy's a weirdo. He's a, he's a predator. And, um, it just, it, it had a really bad effect on his career. And, um, as far as his charge, I guess he was, um, he was 19 years old and he, um, you know, he was he had a you know underage thirteen year old girl in, in one of his rap videos that he shot, and um, this was like a viral video. And the girl got naked, and supposedly she had sex with some of the men in the video. And I think six nine slapped her on the butt or something. And who knows, maybe he had sex with her too. Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he probably did. But you know, nineteen year old, thirteen year old, and he probably thought that she was like fifteen or sixteen. I don't think I don't consider him you know a sexual predator or anything like that. I think that he was wrong for what he did. I think that he was. Um, you know, being extremely careless and reckless, but then again, he's 19 years old. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I don't look at him as, as a sexual predator. Now, if there was a history of this, if it's like, yeah, six nine got caught with underage girls, you know, multiple multiple times, and this this is like a R. Kelly type of thing or a Michael Jackson type of thing, or a Catholic priest type of thing, you know, that would be different. But it's like this was a one time thing, wrong place at the wrong time, and it really just shunned his whole career. Now I'm tying that back to all this snitching and stuff like that. What I'm saying is, if he didn't have that, this is just a giant if, if he didn't have that charge, he probably would have been a lot more respected in the hip-hop. I know for a fact he would have been a lot more respected in the hip-hop community. Nobody could call him a pedophile. He probably would have had a lot less issues with people in the hip-hop community. He probably would have been a lot more, you know, people probably would have been a lot more inviting and respecting to him. He probably wouldn't have had to feel like he had to beef with everybody on social media. He probably, you know, there's a, there's a slim chance he actually might still not be in prison today or, or be testifying against everybody today if he didn't have that charge. I think that's what really, really, really screwed up his career. And um, it also has a lot to do with him snitching because he can't survive in prison because of those charges, point blank period. That's, that stuff is not respected by violent criminals in, in prison. It's just not respected. It's not respected if you're not in prison. I don't respect child molesters or anything like that at all. So I understand where everybody's coming from. And, um, it's just, um, let me see, what else can I add to this right now? Um, as far as this whole case, it's just, I, I think this is just a very interesting case because it's just, it's just like something that could have been avoided so easily, so easily, but at the same time it couldn't because they're part of a violent street gang in New York city where there's a lot of police pressure. But, um, I guess to wrap up this podcast, what I'm saying is snitches come in all shapes and sizes. It's not a generational thing. There's snitches in every single part of the world, in every criminal organization, and um, it just it happens in every culture, in every aspect, and um, 
now let's you know it's just it's just something that happens everywhere and um now do I think six nine is right for snitching absolutely not I don't think he's right for snitching but I don't think that he had the physical build no not forget the physical build he didn't have the attributes or the accolades to survive in prison at all so that's why shoddy is a lot at fault for this why would you accept a weak person like that someone who has charges like that in your gang life like that and it just shows that when you have weak links like that in a criminal organization when you you put all your information on social media like that you're going to go down you're absolutely going to go down so a lot of the fault goes to shoddy and all the other gang members for allowing somebody like this to boast all this drama on social media. And, you know, for criminals, you shouldn't be on social media, period, because you're just drawing attention to yourself. And you are on social media. You better be doing something positive, you know, and trying to, you know, steer attention away from yourself. But hopefully this will be a message for all the kids out there that can realize this gang life is not a joke. There's real consequences for your actions. And... You know, if you are involved in the criminal stuff, stay off of social media. You know, you're already you're probably gonna be under investigation anyways. And uh social media is just making it worse. So and obviously my my, my further message is you know, don't get involved in criminal stuff at all, period, because there's real consequences. And um, you know, whatever your religious beliefs are, there there's there's a place in the afterlife and you know, if you believe in a judgment day, you're gonna have to explain all this stuff to God. Don't get involved in criminal stuff at all, period. You know, I sleep very well at night because I'm not involved in stuff like this. I don't have to worry about anything. And um, everybody should live that life, too. Should live a peaceful, hardworking life. And you shouldn't have to do anything that you regret, regret to that point where you might go to prison for something. So stay in school, kids. Stay away from gangs. And stay off of social media with negative energy because the, the energy you put out into this world is the energy that you get back. And that happens, you know, that happens all the time. You know, bad things happen to good people. So it's just like, why, why, you know, why would you put bad energy into the world at all? So that's my final thoughts on all this information and stuff.